right. Well, hey, before we dive into the message, just one quick thing that I want to share with you about something new that we are rolling out starting next Sunday called Advanced Track. All right, Advanced Track is essentially a four-part learning experience designed for those of you who are either new to our church or haven't yet gotten connected into the life of our church. And its purpose is really simple. We just want to help you get connected so that you can be a part of helping to advance the Crosspoint mission. All right, our mission, we talk about it all the time. It's really simple. This church exists to relentlessly pursue those far from God to help them know and follow Jesus. Like, that's all we do. And we want you to be a part of that, all right? So every Sunday moving forward, we're going to offer a different class. They're all going to happen at 10 a.m. right here on this property. And the four classes you're going to take, number one, Discover Cross Point. So really, you're just going to learn about the mission, the vision, and the values of our church. Number two, Join the Family. You're going to learn about what it looks like and what it means to be a part of this church family. Number three, know your purpose. So you'll discover your passions, your spiritual gifts, your personality makeup, and learn about how God has wired you to make a difference for his kingdom. And then finally, engage the mission is number four. In that setting, you'll actually get to sit down with staff and key leaders from Crosspoint and take some practical steps to get involved in advancing our church's mission, all right? And so again, we're trying to make it really convenient on you. That's why we're doing this on a Sunday morning so that you can attend a a gathering and attend these classes. All we're asking is that you'd give us four hours of your life. Like, that's it. Just give us four hours of your life. And we will help you figure out who we are, who you are, and how God wants to use you to make a difference, all right? And so the only thing we need from you is for you to sign up because space in these classes is very limited. You can take the classes in any order you want, all right? So you don't have to start at the beginning. You can jump in wherever it works for you. And you can actually sign up on the Crosspoint app at the Next Steps table in our lobby, Or you can do it uh, under the Get Connected section on our website. But if you do have questions, just feel free to stop by the Next Steps table in the lobby. And a real live person would love to help you there. All right? Awesome. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Today we are in week number five of a series called Welcome to Crosspoint. And in this series, we've simply been walking through our seven core convictions as a church. And for today's conviction, we're going to be hanging out in Matthew chapter 6. So again, if you have a Bible... You can go there with me, Matthew chapter 6. As you're turning there, quick question. How many of you guys have ever received a gift that absolutely changed your life? Anybody? Life-changing gift? Okay, several of you. Um, I want you to know this hat that I hold in my hand is one of those gifts for me. In fact, I would say that this is probably the most generous gift I have ever received. And I know some of you are feeling really sorry for me right now, like, bro, that's a straw hat. And I know it's a straw hat, but when you hear the story, it should make sense, okay? Back in 2014, I had the opportunity to travel to Burkina Faso, West Africa with a team from our church. And many of us who sponsor Compassion Children through Compassion International were getting the opportunity to meet our sponsored kids for the very first time. And so before I left, my family, we went to the store over to Target and decided we're going to buy a backpack and we're going to fill it up with all kinds of stuff, uh, gifts, things to help our sponsored girl's family. And so we just had a blast doing that. Well, I finally got there, was so excited to give her all these gifts. And as she's sitting there rummaging through the backpack, the compassion host that was with her turns to me and says, hey, don't go anywhere. She has a gift for you. 
And I thought to myself, what do you mean she has a gift for me, right? I mean, Burkina Faso is one of the poorest countries in the world. And I knew from letters I had received from her family that her parents had no steady source of income. And so the last thing I was expecting was a gift. Yet there I was with this big box in my lap, all wrapped up. And I proceeded to open it. And inside with this hat was this hat. This hat is one that the Burkina Bay people give to those that they greatly respect and admire. Well, come to find out, my sponsored girl's family had scrounged uh, up enough money out of the little money that they had to buy this hat for me. A rich American who has more than I know what to do with at times, right? And so it's easy for me to stand up here today and tell you that this is the most generous gift I have ever received because of what it cost the people who gave it to me. And I'll tell you right now, the realization of what it cost them changed me. Right? It changed my perspective on what true generosity actually looks like. But at the same time, it changed my propensity to bless other people with what I have. And my friends, you need to know today, that's what giving does. It changes people. That's a conviction we hold to here at Cross Point City Church. And it is the conviction that we're talking about today. Giving changes people. Here's how the description of that conviction reads. We believe our God is a generous God. He's a giver, not a taker. And the ultimate proof of this is found in Jesus. Since we are called to be imitators of God, we must be givers, not takers, so that his generous nature is seen in us. Therefore, we will be a people of sacrifice and generosity, believing that as we give, lives will be changed, both our lives as givers and the lives of those who receive. Now, listen, I I know, and I'm smart enough to know that every single time we talk about money here at church, there are always people in the room thinking to themselves, great. I came to church on money Sunday, right? And I would bet there's even first time guests in the room. Like you're thinking to yourself, this is awesome. My friend has been inviting me to come to this church for weeks and I finally come. And on the first day I'm here, here's a pastor up here talking about money. Listen, can I just ask the question, why do we feel that way? Like, why do some of us all of a sudden get weird when the topic of money comes up in church? It's a really important question, by the way, because the Bible talks a whole lot about money. In fact, 16 out of the 38 parables Jesus told were about money. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are about money. When you examine the Bible as a whole, you find about 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses on money and wealth. And so if you're a person in the room who loves this church because we talk about the Bible, yes, we're co- guess what we got to talk about? Yeah, we got to talk about money. Now, the reason I think we get weird when we do that is twofold. I think some of us get weird because there are a lot of pastors and churches out there that are really, really shady when it comes to money, right? And so anytime you hear a guy like me talking about money, that's where your brain goes. To guys who stand on stages like this and either guilt or manipulate people into giving, uh, promising that, hey, if you give, God, uh, if you give God's going to give you all this stuff that God never promised to give you. And then those guys run away with all that money that everybody's given and they do really sinful, selfish stuff with it. Listen, if you have a problem with that, I'm with you. Okay, I think we should all have a problem with pastors and churches that handle money that way. But there's a second reason I think some of us get weird and uncomfortable when money comes up. And, and I would bet that more of us fall into this second category than the one I just mentioned. Here it is. 
I think some of us get uncomfortable because at the end of the day, we are being mastered by money in the place of God. Let me show you what I mean from the text. All right, Matthew 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. This, by the way, is Jesus himself teaching on the topic of money and wealth. Here's what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is a key verse for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is making a really simple point here. He wants us to see that we have two options when it comes to storing up our treasure. And treasure, by the way, Jesus is just really speaking to those things that we value most in life. Those things that we spend our money on so that we can find some type of identity, self-worth, value, satisfaction, whatever it may be. Jesus is saying you can store those things up here on the earth or you can store those things up in heaven. And then he makes it really easy on us to figure out which option we've chosen. Okay, here's what he says. If your treasure can be eaten by bugs, destroyed by rust, or stolen by thieves, you have stored your treasure up where? Help me, 10 o'clock. All right, you can do better than that. Come on, where? Yeah, here on the earth. But on the other hand, if your treasure is so eternal in nature that there's never a chance of you losing it, you've stored your treasure up where? In heaven. And so let me just ask the question, and I want you to be really honest with yourself. Okay, here's the question. Where is your treasure currently stored? And right now, in this moment, if you had to answer that question, where are you storing up your treasure? If you're someone in the room who would be honest enough to confess this morning, you know what, James, if, if I'm being really honest, uh, a lot of my treasure is stored up here on the earth my recommendation to you based on what Jesus teaches in this text would be this. You need to put your treasure where your heart's not. You need to put your treasure where your heart's not. If you're taking notes, just write that down and I'll explain what I mean, okay? Verse 21, Jesus says again that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's simply saying that if you're storing up all your treasure here on the earth, then your heart will be set on the things of this earth. On the other hand, if you're storing up treasure in heaven, your heart is going to be set on the things of heaven. A really easy way to think about what Jesus is teaching there in regards to money is this. He just wants us to know that whatever we spend our money on, that's what we're going to love the most. Let me give you some examples, all right? If you're someone in the room who spends a lot of money on your house, you're going to love your house. You're going to be one of those people who tells everyone that comes to your house right when they walk in the door, take your shoes off, right? Don't be walking around on my stuff. Don't touch anything. I mean, your house smells like feet, but you don't care because at least it's clean, right? But if you're somebody, let me keep it. If you're somebody who spends a lot of money on your car, you're going to love your car. If you spend a lot of money on your wardrobe, you're going to love it. You're going to show it off. If you spend a lot of money on travel, that's what you're going to love, right? You get the point. Why is that the case? Well, it's simple, Because your heart follows your treasure. You see, I think it's really easy for us to get this backward at times and to assume that our treasure follows our hearts. Well, James, of course, I'm going to spend money on what I love. Jesus is saying here, no, 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 no. You love what you spend your money on. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Listen to me. It's so important that you and I get this. Because the reality is, every single person in this room, including this guy standing on the platform, 
struggles at times to invest our money into eternal things. Amen? Like, am I the only one? Y'all with me? We all struggle, don't we? Um, I don't know that we've ever say this out loud with our mouths, but I, I think at times we might think it like we struggle and our explanation is often this. My heart's just not in it. I mean, I don't really give because I, I just don't feel it. You know I mean, I love Crosspoint, its mission, its ministry. I love the fact that we're all about relentlessly pursuing people far from God. But I don't give to that because my heart's not in it. I love what we're doing in the community and, and all over the world. But I don't give to it because my heart's not in it. Here's what Jesus is saying in the text. Your heart won't be in it until you start giving to it. Right? This is about you leading your heart with your wallet. And so let me give you some examples. You want to love this church more? You want to care more about our mission and ministry? Give to it and your heart will follow. You want to care about what we're doing in this community to alleviate poverty and to get the gospel to people who desperately need it? Give to that and your heart will follow. You want to become more passionate about what we're doing all over the world to plant churches, drill water wells, reach unreached people groups? Give to that work and your heart will follow. Again, this is about you putting your treasure where your heart's not. Now, next, Jesus goes on to explain what happens to our spiritual vision when we do that. Or, to the contrary, when we fail to do that. Look at verse 22. He keeps going and he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so Jesus, he goes from talking about treasure to talking about eyes. It's kind of weird, but he's making a really solid point here, all right? He says the eye is the lamp of the body. And when you study the anatomy of the human eyeball, you find that to be absolutely true. Your cornea actually functions a lot like a window, and it allows light to enter your body. If your cornea is good and healthy, a lot of light gets in. If your cornea is bad and unhealthy, not a lot of light gets in. Jesus is saying here, the same is true spiritually. He's using the eye as a metaphor to teach this point. That your heart's location determines your spiritual vision. That your heart's location determines your spiritual vision. And I'll try to make this as simple as I can, all right? If you're the person in the room who's storing up all your treasure here on the earth, your heart will be set on the things of this earth And as a result, your spiritual vision will be very unhealthy, right? You're going to live every day of your life with a very short-sighted earthly perspective. Like chances are right now, you're probably that person who's living like you're going to be here forever. Uh, You're not going to see God or the things of God clearly. Uh, Your kingdom is going to take precedence over his kingdom because your kingdom is the only one you're ever looking at or thinking about. And as a result, spiritual darkness will flood your life and it will come out of you as rebellion or disobedience against God. On the other hand, if you're that person storing up treasure in heaven, then your heart is going to be set on the things of heaven and all of a sudden your spiritual eyes will be opened. Your vision is going to be really healthy. And you're going to see clearly that living for the kingdom of God is so much more rewarding than living for your own kingdom. 
Right? You're going to know and believe that everything this world tries to offer you is fleeting, is temporary, cannot provide lasting joy and satisfaction that only God gives. And as a result, the light of Christ will begin to flood your life. Not only will you live in that light, but your life will give off that light to the world around you. 10 o'clock, are you starting to see how important this conversation is today? Like the point of today's message is not, hey, give your money, it's the right thing to do. The point of today's message is not give to God or else. No, man, I'm trying to help you to see, don't miss this, that the way you spend your money impacts where you set your heart. And where you set your heart impacts the way you see your life. And the way you see your life ultimately determines who or what you live for. Now, with that in mind, as I alluded to earlier, the deciding factor in all of this is who or what you're mastered by. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 24 that really you and I only have two options. Look at the text. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. This is so key. You cannot serve God and money. What does Jesus want us to know? Well, he wants us to know that right now in this present moment, every single one of us sitting in this room has a master on the throne of our hearts. And that master, contrary to what you might think, is not God or the devil. It's God or money. You love one, you hate the other. You despise one, you're devoted to the other. One of the two is ruling and reigning over you right now. And the question you have to answer is, which one is it? Like, are you serving God as master or are you serving money? To help you answer that question, what I want to do is spend a few moments teaching on two opposing perspectives that we see in the scriptures regarding money and wealth, okay? Perspective number one represents those people who are being mastered by money, Perspective number two represents those people who are being mastered by God. And all I want to ask you to do is this. As we walk through these, will you be honest with yourself about which perspective you currently hold to? Perspective number one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's called ownership. Ownership. Ownership says, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. I'll keep it. People who live as owners truly believe my money is my money. I worked hard for it. I spent years saving it up. Someone gave it to me as a gift or an inheritance. So don't ask me to give it. Don't ask me to share it because I'm keeping it. My money is my money. As a result, owners typically aren't generous people. They they tend to hoard and stockpile their stuff. Uh, Some owners waste their money on very unimportant things that Uh, make no difference in the scheme of eternity. And then other owners even go into massive amounts of debt buying stuff they don't need to impress people they don't know or don't like, right? And the reason many owners do this is because they miss a massive biblical truth that you and I have to come to grips with today, and it's this. God owns everything. We don't own anything. All right, I got like two amens out of that, so, but I'm gonna keep going. That's all right, all right? God owns everything. We don't own anything. And listen, I I know some of you, you hear that and immediately you push back. Like I always love teaching this because I know I'm just like poking some of y'all in the ribs. You're thinking to yourself right now, I disagree. James, I own my car. I own my house. I own my business. I own some property. I own a boat. Like there's all this stuff that's coming to mind. And listen, I only say this because I love you. 
as much as you might want to argue, both the Bible and logic disagree. And I'm going to make my case starting with the Bible first, okay? Here's what the scripture says. Psalm 24.1, all of creation, including life, belongs to God. That includes your life as well. Uh, the book of Haggai tells us that all wealth belongs to God. All silver and gold is his. Psalm 50, natural resources belong to God. The cattle on a thousand hills, like it's all his. Deuteronomy 8, your ability to earn wealth belongs to God. You understand that? That, that you wouldn't have what you have unless God gave you the ability to earn it? Like the only reason you were born in this country is because God let you be born here. There wasn't a picking party in heaven before you showed up. Like, God, I'd like America. I mean, they seem to be doing really well down there. So can I be born there? No, God decided that for you. He put you in this country and afforded you the opportunities that you have. And along with that, he gave you gifts, talents, and abilities so that you can earn the kind of wealth that you possess. God did that. And then James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 1 that every good gift you enjoy in life belongs to God. So the only reason you have anything, get this, the only reason you have anything is because God who owns all things gave them to you. Now, if you still struggle with that, maybe you're the skeptic in the room who goes, yeah, but James, I think the Bible's dumb and irrelevant and old and outdated, so like, speak logically to me. Okay, think about this. There's coming a day when your life on this earth is going to end, right? Everybody agrees. Like Nobody's living forever. We're all going to end up in a box somewhere in the ground someday. And when that day comes for you, you don't know when it is, how much of your stuff is coming with you? Yeah, none of it. You see, you're leaving this world the same way you came in, which guess what? That proves. (laughs) It proves you don't own anything. God is the owner of all things. People who live with the second perspective, they get this. The second perspective is what's called stewardship. And stewardship says, what's mine is his, I'll share it. I love it. What's mine is his, I'll share it. There's a great little book on stewardship that if you've never read, I'd encourage you to read. It's called The Treasure Principle. It's written by a guy named Randy Alcorn. Um, You could probably read it in one sitting. But in his book, he, he gives a really simple job description for a steward. And here's what he says. A steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to assets he manages. It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets, then carry out his will. And so unlike an owner, a steward understands, man, I can't do whatever I want to do with my money. I can't hoard it and stockpile it while poor and powerless people need help. I can't waste my money on on unimportant things at the expense of getting the gospel to people who desperately need it. Um, I can't pile up massive amounts of debt to buy things I don't need in hopes of projecting some superficial identity to the world around me. And why does a steward think that way? Well, it's simple. He knows his money isn't really his money. (laughs) His money belongs to someone else. He's just a manager. And his job as a manager is to find out what the owner, God, wants done with his money and to then manage that money according to God's wishes. And just so you know, this morning, God's wishes for what we do with his money, really simple. He doesn't ask us to do a lot. In fact, he only asks us to do three things, and I'll give them to you. Give, save, live off the rest. That's what he, he 
prescribes in the word that he gives us. Hey, with the money that I've given you, give, save, live off the rest in that order. And we'll just unpack these for a moment, all right? First, God says to us as his people, I want you to give a portion of the money that I've given you back to me. Invested in my church, invested in my kingdom. And if you're that person asking the question today, well, James, how much am I supposed to give? God's answer in the New Testament is generously. Give generously. If you grew up in church like I did, you've probably heard people talk about tithing before, right? Uh, Tithe simply means 10%. What a lot of people don't tell you when they talk about tithing is that according to the Old Testament law, the Jewish people were supposed to follow three separate types of tithes. (laughs) So they gave a whole lot more than just 10% of their income. In the New Testament, God never prescribes tithing for people like us, non-Jewish Gentile New Testament believers, God actually uh, ups the ante, takes it to a different level. No, I just want you to give generously. I say all that to say this, 10% doesn't need to be a floor for giving. You know, some of you might be in a place right now where you can't give 10%. And I would say to you, that's okay. Just give something. Start somewhere. Something is better than nothing. But I also need you to hear that 10% doesn't need to be a ceiling for giving. Like the goal is not to get to 10% and stop. Finally made it. I mean, come on, let's be honest. For some of us, we don't even know when 10% is missing out of our bank account. 10% is gone and and we don't even feel that. There's nothing generous about 10%. And so if we're really going to give generously, it probably means we've got to give a whole lot more than that. I'm a firm believer that you're all smart people. And you can figure out for yourself what generous giving looks like for you. But here's what you should know. When you give generously, you're declaring two things to God or about God. Number one, you're declaring your love for him. In John 14, 15, Jesus says that the way we declare our love for God is by following the commands of God. God himself, whose owner, commands us as stewards to give generously back to him. And so when you do that, you're literally saying, God, love you. You're a good father. Just want you to know, love you. But secondly, you also declare your trust in God. Like when you live open-handedly and you give generously, you are saying to God through your obedience, God, I'm taking you at your word. I believe what you say. God, all throughout the scriptures, you tell me that if I will seek your kingdom first and invest in your kingdom first, that you'll take care of my kingdom here on the earth. I mean, I may not always have everything I want from you, but you've promised me that you're always gonna give me everything that I need. I will not go without. And so let me just ask the question, okay, and then we'll move on. Does your giving truly reflect your love for God and your trust in God? If so, awesome. I would tell you, keep it up. Great job. If not, before we close out today, I'm gonna give you a couple of next steps And and I think those next steps might help you. So just hang tight, all right? The second thing God wants us to do is save. So give and then save. This may surprise some of you, but in the Bible, God actually talks about the importance of saving and building wealth. Proverbs 20, 21 is very clear on this. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish man devours all that he has. What is God saying? Wise people save. Listen, this will be good for some of you to know, especially if you're new to our church. Uh, This is why here at Crosspoint, we actually have a reserves account in our budget that we sweep money into regularly. 
as a church, we want to save money, number one, so that we can be prepared for the future God has for us. But number two, so that we can always say yes to supernatural ministry opportunities that God brings our way. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want us to ever be that church that's looking at an opportunity that God's put before us, and we got to go, oh, so sorry, we can't help with that. We were really unwise, and we don't have money. I mean, that's awful, isn't it? And listen, I would say to you, the wise thing to do is to save for those same reasons, to be prepared for the future God has for you, but to also set yourself up to say yes to ministry opportunities that God brings your way. And if you're wondering, well, James, how much do I save? I always tell people, shoot for at least 10% of your income. That's a good place to start. If you can't start there, just save something, all right? And some of you, again, you can do more. The last thing is this, live off the rest. Give, save, live off the rest. So after you've given back to God and after you've saved some for you, you live off the leftovers. Now, let's be honest. Some of the mistakes we've made, and I've been guilty of of this in the past myself, uh, the mistake we often make is that we live first. (laughs) It's going to sound familiar to some of us, right? I had a lady last time uh, or after last gathering, she was honest enough to come to me and say, hey, I've done that. That thing you did, that was me. Live first and then give and save the leftovers, And oftentimes that means I don't give anything and I don't save anything because there aren't really any leftovers. I have lived first. Listen, God knows this about us, that that's our default, which is why he flips the script on us. And he says to us, the first thing I want you to do is give some to me. The second thing I want you to do is save some for you. And then with whatever's left in your bank account, pay your bills. Go grocery shopping. Go do a date night. Take your family on vacation. Go live a little. Now, I need to be honest and tell you, if you're going to do all that, there are also some very practical things you need to do in addition. And there's four things that I came up with, so I'm going to give them to you quickly. Here we go. Number one, you have to spend less money than you make. It's a novel idea, isn't it? (laughs) Wow, yeah, okay, good, awesome. Um, I love what Dave Ramsey says, act your wage. You just got to act your wage, right? Come on. It's good advice. Uh, The second thing, you have to stop increasing your lifestyle every time your pay increases. This will preach all day to some of us, right? Like there has to come a point for all of us where we draw a line in the sand and where we say, enough's enough. This is as far as I'm going. I'm not going to live past this. I'm comfortable, I'm fine, I'm good, and anything that God gives me more than what I have right now, I'm just going to figure out how to be generous with the more. The third thing you got to do is stop buying things you can't afford. Again, that's just wise, right? And then the last thing is you got to start trusting God as your ultimate provider. I don't care who you are in the room today, you don't provide for you. I know you work hard, and I know you, okay, get it, but ultimately, listen, ultimately, God is the one who provides for all of your needs. Now, as we start to wind down, I want us to take just a moment and tell you why it's so important for all of us to get this right. And if you haven't listened to anything else I've said this entire message, please don't miss what I'm about to say, all right? Here's why it's so important. When you manage God's money God's way, it frees you up to practice generosity in a way that reflects God's generosity. Let me just say that again, because I need you to hear it. When you manage God's money, God's way, it frees you up to practice generosity in a way that allows you to reflect God's generosity. 
And I'll explain, okay, 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe put his generous nature on display in an unbelievable way through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that Jesus, who was rich, became poor for our sake, that through his poverty, we might become rich. Paul's just reminding us there that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left behind the riches of heaven wrapped himself in flesh, came here as a humble servant to lay his life down for you and me. And why did he do it? To buy us back to God. To make us love sons and daughters in the family of God. Heirs of the riches of God's kingdom. And come on, you got to agree with this. There's no way that you can image or reflect that generosity if you fail to be generous yourself, right? I mean, how in the world do you image a generous God by refusing to be generous? You can't. You you can't put on display a giving God to the world around you by holding tightly to all that he's given you. If you want to live out your purpose in life, which is to represent God rightly to the world, that's why you're here, then at some point, listen, at some point you have to make a decision. I will be a generous giver. And when you do, here's the beauty, lives start to change. I'll tell you what, man, I have been blown away over the past six and a half years at what God has done in this church. Um, I have been blown away over the past six weeks at what God has done in our church. I can't even tell you the number of people off the top of my head right now that have put their faith in Christ over the last several weeks. The type of people who've gotten involved in serving, uh, the number of people who are jumping into groups for the first time. Do you know why all that's happening? It's because people in this room said yes to God in this area of their life. God, I'm going to give, and I'm going to invest in your church, and I'm going to invest in your kingdom. And as a result, lives are being changed. Thank you for giving so freely. But listen, I want you to know that when you give generously, it's not only the lives of other people that start to change. Your own life changes in the process. And listen, as we close, let me just say this, and I'll give you some steps, and we'll be done. That's all I want for you today. That's it. Like, I don't want anything from you. And so, no, this message is not my attempt to guilt you into giving. I have told you countless times in the past that if you are giving money to Crosspoint out of guilt, that I would rather you put your money back in your wallet, take it home with you, pray, and ask God to change your heart so that you can begin giving with the right motivation. And what's the right motivation? We give because God gives. We give generously because our generous God has first given to us. Listen, that's all I want. I don't want anything from you. I just want something for you. I want you to experience the joy that comes from giving. I want you to experience this amazing truth that you can't outgive God. Put it to the test. Try it out. See if I'm lying to you. But I also want you to experience the joy that comes from seeing the lives of other people change when you live with open hands. And so let me give you some next steps, and then we're going to pray. All right, number one, if you're someone sitting in the room today and you're thinking, James, I would love to do what you're talking about, but I don't know how. Uh, My finances are kind of a wreck. I've really never lived on a budget. Got a lot of debt. I'm still trying to pay off. James, I I don't even know how to do that, where to start. Listen, in two weeks, Sunday, September the 16th, at 10 o'clock a.m., Sunday mornings, we are rolling out a class called Financial Peace University. Some of you have probably heard about this before, um, designed, taught by a guy named Dave Ramsey. And in this class, you will learn how to steward money 
in a biblical way, in a way that honors God and frees you up to be generous. You have to know this class costs 120 bucks. We don't keep any of that. That goes straight to Nashville to our friend Dave, okay? So if that bothers you, you can take it up with him. But in reality, in reality, that money just covers the cost of the materials that you're going to need. But listen, I just need you to hear me say this. If you need help with finances, that $120, well worth what you're going to get out of this. And so I want to say to you, if you need that help, sign up. Space is very, very, very limited. So you need to sign up quickly through the Crosspoint app at our Next Steps table in the lobby or the giving page of our website. And then the second thing is this. And, and this next thing is only for those of you who belong to our church, okay? If you're a guest in the house or you don't really know if this is going to be your church, you can tune me out right now. Check college football scores from yesterday if you want to. But just, if this is your church, lean in for a moment. If you're someone in the room who isn't giving, but you know you can be. It's not a matter of, well, my finances are jacked. It's just a matter of, I really haven't taken that step yet. Or if you're someone in the room who gives, but you don't give generously. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to give consistently. I'll throw a few bucks in the bucket every once in a while. Or, you know, I'll I'll give when I feel like it or when I have some leftovers. I, I want to invite you into something that we're calling the generosity challenge. The generosity challenge. And the challenge is really, really simple. Uh, For the remainder of this year, we want to ask, would you give generously to the mission and ministry of Crosspoint City Church? That's it. No strings attached, no bells and whistles, uh, no promises that we're going to make to you other than you're going to get to experience the promises of God in the scripture related to giving. But for the remainder of this year, would you draw that line in the sand today and go, okay, I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to give for the first time or my giving's going to change. I'm going to go from just kind of giving to generously giving. If you're sitting there going, I'm game. I love this church. I love what God's doing in this church. I want to be a part of that. All we want you to do is let us know that you're making that commitment, okay? You can do it in a few ways. The easiest way is by texting the word giving to the number you see on the screen, 345-345. Uh, you can even get out your device right now if you want to and just text it there. If, if text doesn't work for you or if you want to go home and pray about it, God, how much do you want me to give? Talk to your spouse about it. Make some decisions together. Do that. Uh, you can still text us or you can sign up for this challenge on our website or on our app, okay? The only reason we want to know that you're committed is so that we can encourage you along the way. That's it. We're not going to show up at your house or hound you or spam you to death, nothing like that. Look, we know, look, We know this is a big, scary step of faith for a lot of people. Oftentimes, people surrender their hands to God first. I'll do what you want me to do. Their feet to God second. I will go where you want me to go. And their wallet is the last thing they lay down before the Lord. So you got to get it, man. It's scary. This requires you to trust God on a whole new level. We just want to send you encouragement along the way. And so if you want to commit to that, shoot us a text, sign up through email on the website or the app, and let us know, all right? What I want to do now is just pray for you and pray over the steps that I know some of you need to take. And so can we do that together? Father, we love you. And first and foremost, we just want to thank you for your great generosity toward us. God, we know that we would not be here today if you were not such a giving God. God, it's our heart and desire as your people to put your generous nature on display. But but God, I know for some of us, we wrestle 
And so whatever it is that we're wrestling with, if it's fear, if it's pride, if it's doubt, whatever it is, God, would you remove that? Would you work on our hearts right now, even in this moment, so that we can become those cheerful, generous givers you desire us to be? And God, my prayer over our church is that we would be such a generous people that this community and the world around us would see who you are through the way that we give. And so, God, we're, we're saying today we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to be at work in us, changing us, uh, changing our hearts, opening our hands. God, we trust that you're going to do that. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.